Father in heaven, thank you for this moment that we are going to open our Bibles and review and able to um, receive the teachings of your word from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Be with us in this presentation. In Jesus' name, amen. As I say on the, on the beginning, <clears throat> these are some of the, I would say what, um, general issues that you are going to find in this epistle to the Corinthians. And um, of course, Corinthians um, used to be um, a very uh, complicated charge, not an easy congregation. Um, I, I will say a complex congregation. And sometimes in the pastoral circles, when you are having a church that is complex, you uh, compare that with a Corinthian church. Um, of course, this is probably the paramount of complexities because the diversity of the problems that you are dealing with here in Corinthians congregation is, is very, very wide and ample. <clears throat> and, and when you read that, you are going to see uh, the rationale for that. For example, there, are, there were divisions in the church, chapter 1, um, 2, and 3. You are going to be seeing in that perception, and the Apostle Paul um, is dealing with that. Um, also, um, there are problems regarding the Christian behavior, the life style in the church, and discipline in the church. Um, every time that, for example, when you leaders of the church are going to take some kind or look for some kind of advice, um, looking for some biblical support, um, coming what to do in, in certain moments of the life of the church, 1 Corinthians 5 is going to give you an example of a kind of problems that uh, appears in the church. There are problems of litigation in the church. Probably we are going to enter today in that. That, that is litis. That is the word of, of the Latin word for, for problems in which people is looking for um, the... The courthouses that uh, that are outside the church to um, to fix a problem, interpersonal problems that appears inside the church, and uh, and there are problems with um, with uh, marriage, and also in in uh, chapter five and six, you are going to find out another um, situation that is very uh, interesting because probably there is no other, what I would say, Christian record in the New Testament, so clear, I would say, that the Apostle Paul is dealing with something similar to LGBTQ in these days. That is in, in chapter 6 of the letter. <clears throat> and let me tell you something. Yesterday, I, I've been saying some things here. <clears throat> and I've been reviewing what I say, and I've been talking with my wife about uh, what I've been saying, because uh, I, I think that somebody felt or hurt 
or with another expectation regarding um, my comment regarding this um, topic. And, and I will say this. Um, I, I'm sorry if, if somebody is feeling hard, but the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear. And, um, and of course, when, when somebody <laughs> invites me in a kind of discussion and interchange of ideas, um, the politically correctness sometimes needs to be put in the balance with what is biblically correct. And sometimes being biblically correct and being politically correct, of course, are not in the same page. You follow what I'm saying? So at the point in which when you need to follow what the Bible says, um, that is not politically correct. Because in, in politically correctness, you are opening sometimes the, 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 not only the doors, maybe the gates, um, to several kind of, of opposite points of view, some of them that are going to put in danger the essence of the church. And basically, when you go to chapter 5, and when you are um, in chapter 5, you are going to see that the Apostle Paul, from the distance, is recommending discipline in the church to a person that was living in an incestuous condition. Of course, that recommendation is going to start a kind of tension inside those who, for in one side, were permitting the condition, and the others that were saying, we need to have this situation fixed. And what is the best thing to do? If sometimes we apply a, the view of being politically correct, you are going to see the church in danger. And when the church is going not to apply the rules that are in the Bible, and some of them were established and inspired, all of them, by the Lord, you are going to have a church that is going, thank you, that is going to be in serious trouble. So, I'm sorry for the feeling, but um, I prefer to be biblically correct. I will try to select the best of my language to express love and kindness, but we need to follow the Bible. No questions about that. And I'm, I'm not going to be what I will say, uh, what I will say is aggressive or something like that. I, I, I will try to avoid that kind of vocabulary. But what we need to do in the church is to uh, respect the authority of the Bible. There was um, a question that um, somebody brought me individually, and I'm going to mention this anonymously. Um, 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 some person says that um, was under discipline at some point, and um, if something can be done, let me tell you that normally the clerk of 
the conference, each conference, the clerk of each conference normally is leading committees regarding several issues that sometimes are affecting the church. For example, divorce and new marriage. This is normally under that department of the church. And if somebody was um, in a situation of, you know, um, think that was a mistrial or something wrong regarding that, that is the sector of the conference, each conference across the North American division to appeal for a review of the process. Okay, I've been involved in several cases of that, and uh, when that happened, normally the clerk of the conference, in this conference is Elder Shimishev, is going to receive the, um, you know, the appealings regarding that, and is going to try to touch base with the person, with the elders of the congregation, the pastor of the congregation, the local clerk of the church, and if there is substance for that, they are going to proceed and do a review of the process. And sometimes the review is in favor of the person, and sometimes it's not. So, but normally, let me tell you that before calling Jim, I recommend you, or whatever is the case, to read carefully the church manual. Because the church manual is the leading guide protocol that we follow in all the processes like this. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not going probably to enter in details, but you have the right to appeal that is, that there is a right that exists, and, um, and I am giving uh, proper information regarding this. Um, marriage and divorce is uh, uh, one of the problems that appears in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, meat sacrifices to idols, role of woman, probably tomorrow, um, Elder Del Valle is going to be uh, dealing with that in 1 Corinthians 11. The case of the Lord's uh, Supper, the communion service, spiritual gifts um, in 1 Corinthians 12, and love and the gift of tongues, and resurrection and baptism is 1 Corinthians 15, and Sunday observance. Uh, probably next year we are going to continue uh, for the presentation if the, um, the conference believes that is good for us. So let me um, tackle another thing here that is um, sometimes lost in the middle of the situation. By the way, yesterday we were commenting a um, comparison between the coming out in the society and the biblical confession. You know, sometimes when people is invited um, in the moments of previous to the baptism, there is a kind of public, you know, confession. I was in, in the ways of the world, and it's public. In the coming out uh, that is affecting LGBT, it's also uh, public. But being public, not necessarily is going to fix the problem. Fixing 
our problems is if we are going to abandon sin. This is the essential point. And even though some people in the community are making a public confession, that public confession is reaffirming them in their own ways of living that sometimes are in communion with the world, but not with the Lord. And that is not abandoning the sin. And we need to, tell, to take in account that, because technically that is a rejection of the scriptures. And that is the reason of the yes here, because they are rejecting the plan of the Lord for a male and for a female. And, and this is sometimes sensitive, because um, in, in certain cases, we are dealing with uh, family members. We are dealing with, um, with um, persons that are friends of us. And, and, and I understand that. But we need to sub be supportive of what the Bible says. If we are not doing that, we are going to put the rest of the community of faith at risk. And that is um, important also to take in account. Another, another thing that I, um, that I will, I, I don't know if I have, I guess, I, I do have here something um, that I want to share. And let's go to, to see this for a moment. Open your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 11. And I'm going to um, bring you a uh, um, reflection regarding um, this. I, I guess I have it here. Um, let me see. There is a doctrine of the church that in these moments, in these times, it is at stakes. Sometimes, and it's the, the teaching of the Godhead or the Trinity. And um, I wrote a, a book a few years ago regarding, regarding this. And one of the things that called my attention, continuing uh, studying about the, the Trinity, is that in the, in the New Testament, um, when you when you see Matthew twenty eight, eighteen and nineteen, go into the world and uh, baptize and make disciples in the name of, okay, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, okay. So I began to think that um, and search in, in the New Testament about the interaction of these words or, or titles, names, um, sacred names, the name of the Father, for example, the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's quite interesting that here it's um, one way in which uh, the presence of the Godhead appears in the Bible. 
And I began to think statistically. What I, what I mean with this can be this equivalent of, say, the Father, the Holy Spirit, or the Son. If that is possible, then there is another option. Excuse me. Another option can be, say, uh, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit can be also Son, Holy Spirit, and Father can be Holy Spirit, Father, and Son. Then the other option is Holy Spirit, Son, and Father. You follow what I'm pursuing? Okay. It's quite interesting, you know. If you, I, I began to work this, and I am in the middle of the transition. I shared with uh, some friends in St. John's um, in one study once um, in, in the middle of the week. But I will say that in the New Testament, when you go through this, there is about 70 forms. And I call the triads, triads. Because it's a quality of three. It's, it's quite interesting. Um, when you go to the basic, I would say this is the classic. This. This is the classic form. But all of them are represented. All of them. And here is one of them. Because the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God is, is the way in which appears here. And is related to what here? You know, when, when, you, when you check the context, this context is a hopeful, plenty of hope for those who are in sin. Because the Apostle Paul he says, these were some of you. Who? And uh, when you see the context, refers a, a very big amount of different kind of people. You know? And, and the Apostle Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. That, that means baptized. Wash. But you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord. Here is the name of the Godhead. So they were baptized in the triple name and they were accepted back in the church. That is, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. You know, there is joy and, and uh, good spirit. Uh, about that, and this is a message of hope. And when you follow this, let me tell you, it's about 68, 68 through maybe 70 uh, tri triads in the, in the New Testament. Um, so when, when you see that, the, the basic 
essence of the teaching about the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is very a strong presence in the New Testament. Now, I hope I'm not catching ahead of you or something, but I'm, I'm noticing the, the pattern in the, in the words, washed, sanctified, justified, Lord Jesus, Spirit, God. We're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're sanctified through the Holy Spirit, and then we're justified, coming just as we are to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. I just think that that's... Hey, happy... Yes, it's, it's interesting. But, but here, um, Happy New Year, by the way, gentlemen. Uh, but but, but I, am, I am reflecting on this. Um, but, you know, um, this, is, um, this is quite interesting. But I, I don't know if I'm getting well your question or answering quite well your question. I, I was just wondering, because I've noticed that the, the order in which the words are portrayed where you're washed, then you're sanctified, then you're justified, you say, in the name I don't think I don't think that Paul is um, putting a preference or theological preference in the order of things, you know? Because um, of course the the meaning of being holy and, and holiness is critically here. It's, the word is hagaios in the New Testament and is the appealing of the essence of the church. And that, that is in, with the context with which yesterday we were comparing the church and the world. You know, impurity reigns here. But when you enter and you are baptized in the church, the expectation is that all the old ways are abandoned and changed. And that is practically the essence of the point of this comparison that I was making regarding LGBT with the tendency that we have here. Because the world and the ways of the world needs to be abandoned once you enter into the community of the faith. So let's, um, let's enter into the topic of marriage here. That is um, 1 Corinthians 7. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. Um, the Apostle Paul do have certain recommendations in chapter 7. Um, one of them is, he says, nevertheless, avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. It's very clear, the teaching. So there is no polygamy. Um, some people sometimes um, are, are saying that Paul is trying to avoid, you know, the teaching of polygamy. Of course, it's, it's, of course there is no polygamy in the New Testament inside the church. That is clear. Um, personal preference for him um, to better perform the mission, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried 
um, agamois is a noon and masculine and plural, I put in the note that, and the widows, um, that is female and plural, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So sometimes this brings the condition regarding what was the condition, the civil status of the Apostle Paul. You know, you probably you hear a lot of speculation about that. Was he married? Was he a widow? Was need, he in need of being married? And you are going to find a lot, a lot of um, speculation regarding that, you know. Um, well, the Talmud, Jewish Talmud says, observes, one who does not have a wife lives without joy, without blessing, and without goodness. That is in the Talmud, in one of the, that is one of the teachings of the Talmud. And some people think that the Apostle Paul, um, probably if he was in, um, in the Sanhedrin, that is the, the tribunal of the Jewish, for being in that circle, he has to be married. So the speculation is that probably he was a widow. And potentially that is possible. That, that is possible. Um, uh, there are a diversity of positions regarding that, um, and based on the following elements that we are going to share with you, that might imply at some point he might have been married, and um, several commentators um, are, are around that position. Um, and remember something, he was considered a rabbi. And, and call a rabbi. And the Talmud says, if he who has no wife is not a complete man. That is the Talmud. Uh, it's not the Bible, you know, it's, it's the Talmud. Uh, it's, it's the, the oral tradition inside the Jewish religion. And, um, and on particular grounds, um, there is also evidence that Paul was or used to be married um, because some people say that to be member of the Sanhedrin, uh, they say, uh, and to cast his vote against the Christians. Read Acts chapter 26 and 10. Acts 26 and 10. And... Um, and there is a commentator, Barclay, who says that uh, there was a regulation that members of the Sanhedrin must be married men because it was held that married men were more merciful. That is Barclay's. Um, um, in the letter to the Corinthians, uh, page 61. And, um, but, you know, searching regarding other opinions, that, that thing is not quite, quite clear among other commentators. Let me, let me be fair um, in regarding the topic. Um, because the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
verse 5, he is speaking about his own rights. And probably this text is going to share a little bit of light upon the situation because he says, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? So it is very clear that at the moment in which he is writing, he was or single or widow. It's very clear. Because if not, there is no rationale for writing that in 1 Corinthians 9. Um, that is what I know. That is my perception. Um, that Paul was, as he sees his opinion, um, entitled to merit. And the conditions were those um, that I mentioned here. Okay? So, um, and here, here, he says, divorce is not an option. And to, and to the married, I command, ye not, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. And, and these texts are very clear. Let me explain to you what was the problem in the Corinthians community. Some members of the Corinthian community, they were accepting the Lord Jesus as their savior, his, their savior, yes. And they, they were with um, a partner who were not accepting the, the message. So the point, that was the point in which what they were going to do. Was that a cause for divorce? And the Apostle Paul began to, began to say and deliver his teaching. But to the rest, speak I, not the Lord, if any brother had a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to duel with him, let him not put her away. That means if you are accepting the Lord and she is not, please, this is not a cause of divorce. That is, that is the point. And the woman which had a husband that believed not, and if he be pleased to do it with her, let her not leave him. So the point is this. Religion is not a cause of divorce. Um, you, you understand what is the point here? The point, the point here is that, and sometimes it's the... This is the regulation in, inside the church. Sometimes we offer Bible studies, you know, and a husband or a wife accept the message and enter in the community. But the point is, start a kind of tension sometimes. And, and, and being a pastor here in, U in USA is very complex because sometimes you have people coming to your church on Saturday, and one is coming on Saturday, and the next day, a husband or a wife are going to a Sunday church because the husband or the wife are attending another church. And it's complex. Uh, it's complex. 
when I entered, or when, when I came here into, into USA, um, you know, there were some places in, in other countries, um, not, not here, that uh, tend to put under discipline to those who enter or engage in a relationship to marry with someone that is not in the faith. I don't know if you're aware of that, probably not as a member in general in the church, but I had that in, when I was living in one district, and I, and I went uh, to visit the pastor first and say to him, look, this is not in the church manual. This is not rational for proceed into that direction. Probably what we need to do is to work at the best our advice, but there is no rational to pursue discipline for that. And that, by the way, costs the ministry in the, in the position of that charge to the pastor because it was a very uh, tense situation with a local community. We need to, we need to put into stakes this. And, um, and you, know, you know what I did after that? I began, before the marriage, I began to, to offer Bible studies to the lady. And I guess that my wife remembered the case because she was the daughter of a Baptist minister. And, uh, and, and of course, the father was in total opposition of she being baptized. But I offer, offer, simple, offer um, Bible studies. Never put conditions. I never establish the condition. But I, I told her that if she was going to marry that gentleman, um, she needs to know about the doctrines in order that uh, both were in certain ground of harmony in the future. Okay? That, that was the, the thing. And, and I began to teach one, two, three, four, five times. And you know what happened? She asked, she asked to be baptized. Uh, you, cannot, you cannot imagine, because I do remember, that was a big, big household, a, a big family. They were, they were happy, completely happy. The, the father, when I, when I went out, she, he came to me and, ah, pastor, Thank you very much. And she was baptized, and we married, because both of them were in the same faith now. We cannot, as a pastor, marry someone that is a member of Seventh-day Adventist Church with another that is not a member of the church. And this, this is the normal protocol, you know. But for that moment, that family felt and live a moment of victory. The other thing that is going to, to uh, bring joy to our hearts is that um, he is preparing as a minister. And she is going to be the, uh, the, the wife 
of a SDA minister in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So sometimes, sometimes what we need to do is to try to solve problems and avoid future problems in the church. And, and we need to put all these cases in prayer and with love and kindness, we, we need to share our faith with them because we are avoiding a problem in the future. You know, this, this is one of the reasons of divorce sometimes in the church. And we need to try to avoid that kind of situation in the future. If you have with somebody or, or, or a husband or a wife that is not a believer, share with the person the gospel. Sure, give testimony and, uh, and look for the help of the pastor. And there is a lot of help in the church for trying to solve this kind of situation because this is a very contemporary issue here. Yes. We had a Baptist fellow join our church after Unlock Revelation. His wife came up until the Sabbath and then said no, talked to her pastor and decided she wasn't coming anymore. My wife has made friends with her. They go out and do things all the time. And she came up and spent <coughs> two days with us here at camp meeting. Gary is a merchant marine, so he's out on the Great Lakes. And she said, next year, I'm going to try to get Gary to schedule his time and we'll both come to camp meeting for the whole week. She still is not an Adventist, but she's been showing up for Bible studies at our house on Monday night. We have a group Bible study. And this is after more than a year of, you know, just kind of holding back, holding off. So just by being friends, just oh, yeah. going shopping together, by coming to the house, you know. And, uh, and between here and for the mic, why don't you tell us who you are and what is your work in Michigan? Oh, my name is Bernie Anderson. I'm the head elder at the Wright Seventh-day Adventist Church and uh, sit on a, some committees. And which one of the committees, what you are working with, Battle Creek and so on? Oh, I uh, spent about 20 years on Adventist Heritage Ministries board. I'm a, an emeritus board member at this point. I decided to retire, but I still do uh, Adventist history weekends and tours and things like that. So, so if you need something with, um, with that, please contact him because um, it's a blessing that ministry in Battle Creek and, uh, and, and in, in the other several um, places. We have William Miller's farm, Hiram Edson's farm, and Joseph Bates' home in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Yes, we were there and it was a blessing. Together with my uh, wife and daughter, we visit that place and we enjoy. And thank you. Thank you for the work that you are doing because several workers like you were uh, taking care of those places. And it was for us a, a day of blessing when we visit those historical places in which the Seventh-day Adventist Church was formed. Okay, um, and here is regarding um, the topic. I don't know if my friend is going to come here, but we are going to continue. And in the next chapter, um, we are going to have this recommendation
regarding uh, meat sacrifices to the idols. Um, when uh, the Apostle Paul uh, is, is speaking here, and, um, and the recommendation is now as touching things offered in, unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffed up, but charity edified. Charity, by the way, the original is love here, okay? And if any man thinks that um, he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known uh, to him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto the idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there, are, as, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. By the way, this is, this is, not, this is not kosher food I, I put in the notes here, okay? Um, and this is a kind of problems that, um, that is very clear appear in the church. Or, um, let me see, maybe I am jumping into a topic that I, I don't know, I don't know if I deal with that or not, but I am a little bit um, concerned regarding this. Uh, okay, at some point, I guess I, I miss, I miss something in the in the presentation, and it's, it is regarding the the courthouses. Um, that is in, um, in chapter 6. But let me tell you something. When, when there is a difference in the church, uh, the biblical reference is not to go to the uh, courthouses. We need the problems in the church. We need to try to fix that in the, in the, in the community of faith. Let me explain something here regarding this topic and give you, I'm going to give you the, the background of the, of the Corinthians um, context, social and judicial uh, context for that. When, uh, when the Apostle Paul and listened what was uh, happening in the Corinthian church, he was in Ephesus. And what he learned is that when there were differences among members in the congregation, they went to the courthouses. It was very easy because in the, in the Greek style, every part looked for an advisor and the advisor tried to fix the situation at the beginning. But if there was not fixing, then the committee was bigger. And, and the society, the, the whole Corinthian uh, population was going to be involved at some point. And the Apostle Paul is beginning to say, look, this, this, is, not, this is not good. 
because we are going to be judged by the world. And this is the tension. This is the problem. The church is coming out from the church, and the judge were from the, all the world viewpoint. And, and the Apostle Paul said, we are going to judge the world. So under what basis we are going to be sub, in submissions to that judgment? So that, that's the problem that the Apostle Paul is dealing. So he says very clearly, we don't need to go into that direction. So when, um, when, when we have a trouble uh, um, problem in the church, what we need to do is we need to fix the situation inside the church. And um, with confidence, we might be able to go to the elders of the church, to the pastor of the church, and present the case and try to solve the situation. Sometimes, let, let me tell you, sometimes there are perceptions in the church. Remember something. Chapter 1, Corinthians, chapter 2 and 3, are going to tell you that there were groups in the church. So when, uh, when there are groups in the church, churches became uh, factious. Factions are in the church and sometimes are pushing for or power, importance, dominion, and the platform, and um, several other issues, you know? And we need to avoid that kind of thing. Everyone in the church, um, we need to have a place for everyone in the church, according what the Apostle Paul presents in chapter 12. That is the gifts. And the gifts are God's given talents that, that we need to use in the church. Um, till today, till today, my wife is very happy with this lady that is uh, here. Um, she's the pianist of St. John's. And when we arrived to St. John's, kindly, she says to, to, to my wife, could you help us with something in the church? And uh, she said, maybe with piano. And, uh, and she's a very, very good pianist. She's a very good pianist. And, uh, and let me tell you that uh, they are a good friends with a good spirit, both of them worshiping the Lord with entire good spirit till today. And when we are sharing our gifts in the church, um, we are going to work together as team, as a team, because everybody is team players here in the church. And, and we need that kind of spirit to avoid tensions and competition, a spirit of competition and division in the church. We need to avoid that kind of thing or thinking that somebody is bigger than others. And we need to recognize something. Every one of you, everyone that is here, you have talents given by the Lord. And this is your reception. Use that in the church for the benefit of the Lord. And the church is going to be 
a blessing for everybody. And, and when, when you are sharing the gift of the Lord, basically what you are returning is with a spirit of grace, with a spirit of thankfulness in the church, you are going to say, Lord, here is my talent. I'm going to serve you doing this. And thank you for what every one of you are doing in the church because everyone has a talent. And talents are blessings in the church. Um, and when we are divided in, you know, according to the talents, are, there are people um, that are really a blessing. Some of them do not speak. Some of them are not going to be in the front, every, in the platform, every single Saturday. But when, 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 and I am telling this from the standpoint of a pastor, what a blessing is to have some quiet deacons and deaconesses that when you reach the church, all the playground, all the parking lot, in winter especially, is, everything is clear and uh, there is no ice in the winter. There are no problems in, in the places and everything is in place. But that people sometimes you are not going to see in the platform speaking about themselves. But silently, efficiently, they are working behind a scene working kindly for the work of the Lord. Why? Because they are using their talents for the Lord. So when, when there are tensions in the church, we need, to, we need to improve our communication. We need to improve our dialogue. And, and we need to pray together. And let me tell you that I discover that sometimes there are friendships that appear in the church that are stronger than in the family. Amen. Because, because uh, till today, when we come to certain church, yes, we can call that church home because it's, we feel at home. We feel at home because we feel love. And that is the spirit that we need to look for in the church. And when somebody is, you know, um, in disharmony with that, we need, we need to call the attention to recover the spirit of harmony inside the church, because that is essential into the topic. So, okay, um, coming back to the point in which I've been, I've been missing, um, let me uh, get back to that and... Uh, into the topic, I was, no, this was not, okay, we were here, yes. This is not a, a common problem that we are going to, um, to, to see here, but the Apostle Paul is recommending uh, to some members about this, and we are going to say, I'm not going to read that, but please, this is not, this not involve kosher food, um, because um, this kind of food 
meats uh, to the idols can be... Um, mm, the problem is pagan worship is involved here. This, this is the essence of the topic. But um, sometimes we need to be very careful with the food and our selection of food and the places in which we um, buy the food. Um, halal food is not kosher. Halal is not kosher. Halal is the Islamic style. And they are following a procedure that is similar to kosher. But let me tell you that for, for the Muslims, they, um, they eat some things that, um, that are not according to the Levitical rules. By the way, you need shrimp, for example, and several other things. Yeah. And, and we need to be careful regarding that because some, somebody might say, well, halal equals to kosher, and it's not. <laughs> it's not. So you, you need to be very, very careful. What is safe for one man here can be unsafe for another man. And maybe the Apostle Paul is establishing a criteria here that when you are in the church, you are a living example to others. And we need to be very careful what we select, where we go, and what is, what is our example to the other members of the society. Um, so here, the Apostle Paul speaks about knowledge. Knowledge is not, is not the point, because a person can say, well, I know, I don't believe in these gods. I am just coming here to take the food. But I don't believe in these deities, you know? But it's in there. And that is an example to other person. And the Apostle Paul says, please, don't do that. Your, you, I understand that your knowledge is right, but your knowledge is misguiding another. So you need to be sensitive and with a, a spirit of love to the others. Um, nothing ought to be judged solely from the point of view of knowledge. All has to be judged from the standpoint of love. And we need to conduct ourselves as not to be guided thinking that we do have the right knowledge, but by being sympathetic with others and by loving others and understanding that um, was what we do can, can hurt others, we need to be sensitive to that. We cannot hurt others and anyone might indulge in doing something that can lead others to the ruin. That, that is um, the point. Uh, also, uh, the Apostle Paul is very clear regarding the Jerusalem uh, Council. Uh, remember this. In, when you go to the book of Acts in chapter 15, you are going to find that the um, Gentiles were clear regarding this information. And uh, the submission of the judgment 
of the, um, uh, of the uh, Jerusalem Council was this. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, says, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, verse 20, instead we should write to them, telling them to abstain from what? Yes, food polluted or contaminated by idols from sexual immorality and from the meat or strangled animals and from the blood. And this is the Jerusalem Council. By the way, this is the spirit that is underneath the recommendation here to the Corinthians because the church already has taken a decision regarding to this, to this point. And that, that is the, the critical issue that we have uh, here. So uh, I don't know if you have any questions today. Tomorrow, uh, Pastor Del Valle is going to continue, and uh, he is going to be dealing with the um, situation of woman in church. And this is the, the point that is going to be presented. It's long. Uh, it's going to take uh, probably the entire time for tomorrow. And, um, and I don't know if you prefer to take another things in Corinthians, because the challenges in the epistle to the Corinthians are several. And we are just scratching the surface of the epistle, because there is the baptism for the death in 15. Uh, there is the gift of tongues in chapter uh, 14. Um, and there is the gift to the church in chapter 12. And of course, in the case of, of the role of women in the leadership, that is in, in chapter, um, um, in the following topic that Pastor Del Valle is going to present tomorrow. Okay, thank you for coming. God bless you and see you tomorrow. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.